Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal Crimes of Passion episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today we're discussing cases of drug use and drug dealers. What kind of psychological motivators are present in someone who is using or selling drugs? According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, people commonly experiment with drugs because they want to feel good, stop feeling bad, or perform better at work or school. Addiction occurs when the urge to keep using is stronger than the control in stopping. Common triggers for addiction include trauma in the home, mental health problems, and starting drug use at a young age. But what makes someone graduate from a drug user to a drug dealer? According to a study run by researchers with Perpetuity Research and Consultancy International, a significant portion of the drug dealers studied became involved in the drug trade due to their proximity to friends and family members who deal drugs. Many others were already drug users and were offered a job by their supplier. It is worth noting that half of the women involved in the study became involved in the drug trafficking industry as a result of coercion. Lastly, offenders commented that the lack of employment opportunities in their area had resulted in drug dealing because it was their only option to earn an income. In today's episode, we'll explore three different stories of drug dealers and drug users and see what might have led them down this path. Our opening clip comes from ParCast original Kingpins. Rafael Edmond built his empire by introducing crack cocaine to Washington, D.C. in the 1980s, spurring a violent era in the city's history. Rafael was not the first Edmond to make a career dealing drugs. When Rafael was a child in the 1960s, his father quit his job as a driver to pursue what he saw as a more lucrative opportunity, dealing drugs. Rafel's mother, Bootsy, was also part of the family business, and the Edmonds had been well-known in D.C.'s criminal underworld since the 1950s. Nine-year-old Rafel Edmond was bored one afternoon in 1973. It was a hot day in Washington, D.C. None of his friends were around to play. Most of the 20 people who lived in his family's house were out at work. Rafel's mother, Bootsy, was getting ready for work too, counting out pills and dropping them into a plastic bag. Bootsy looked at her son, who was staring off into space, bored to tears. She got up and said, come on now, I have something to show you. The air was hot and thick with humidity. Little Rafel followed his mother down the sidewalk until they reached a nondescript corner a few blocks away. Bootsy held a plastic baggie in front of Rafel's face. It was full of colorful pills, powder blue and pink and chalk white. Rafel reached out, but his mother slapped his hand away and said, not for you, never for you. We are going to sell these. Rafel nodded. He watched as a middle-aged man in a tracksuit approached them and handed Bootsy a crumbled $20 bill. She poured some white pills into a smaller baggie and gave it to the man. This was Rafel's first lesson in drug dealing. 
He was nine years old and already a kingpin in the making. That clip from Kingpins highlighted Rafel Edmonds' early entry into the world of drug dealing. It's easy to see how Rafel would eventually grow up to run an operation that brought 1,700 pounds of cocaine a week into D.C. To nine-year-old Rafel, dealing drugs was normal. That's why when his mother handed him a bag of pills to sell, he didn't hesitate. And instead of following his peers to college, Rafel decided to stay on the streets of D.C., making more money for his family than he ever would by going to college. Because of his family background, Rafel was expected to carry the family business. But what happens when someone whose family never expected them to do drugs dies of an overdose? Next, we'll cover the mysterious death of boxer Sonny Liston. Hi, listeners. Are you ready to sink your teeth into a sizzling new Spotify original from Parcast? It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, She'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as JFK, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and more. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class but probably should have. Follow the fantastic new series Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the show. So far, we've talked about Rafel Edmund, whose crack cocaine empire was just one more iteration of what was in many ways a family business. But in our next clip from Unsolved Murders, we cover the peculiar drug-related death of former heavyweight boxing champion Sonny Liston. On January 5, 1971, Geraldine Liston came home to find her 39-year-old husband dead at the foot of their bed. Police called Sonny Liston's death an accidental heroin overdose. According to police, Sonny was a known heroin user who had started using in the mid-60s when he met infamous bookie Ash Resnick. <laughs> Sonny Liston, my man. Listen, whatever you need, I got you. You need women? I'll get you women. You need a party? I'll take you to the best party you ever seen. You need a little pick-me-up? I'm your guy. Pick-me-up? We talking drugs? Only the finest. Now we're talking. Resnick had an extremely sordid reputation, even by Vegas standards. Like many people in Sonny's life, he was closely tied to the mob, and he opened the door to more serious drug activity for Sonny. Sonny was no longer bringing in the cash he once did and immediately began to rack up gambling debts upon setting foot in Vegas. He needed a new source of income. With help from Resnick, Sonny began selling drugs and, according to some, using them as well. By the year 1970, Sonny was living a fast life in Vegas. He was partying every night, running a mid-level drug operation, and had a mistress on the side. 
In that clip from Unsolved Murders, Sonny Liston met Ash Resnick and began using heroin. In 1971, Sonny died from a heroin overdose, but friends and family have raised questions about the veracity of this cause of death ruling. Sonny's wife, Geraldine, and Davey Pearl, a boxing referee and one of Sonny's good friends, both insisted that Sonny was terrified of needles. His trainer said he had to cancel a trip to Africa because he refused to get the required vaccinations. Even Sonny's dentist refuted the heroin use claims, saying that there was nothing Sonny feared more than a needle. With Sonny's fear of needles corroborated by so many people close to him, it's hard to believe he would die of a drug that is typically administered intravenously. This leads some to believe that Sonny was murdered, possibly due to his involvement with Vegas gambling and bookies, but we'll never know for certain. Sonny's boxing career was near its end when he allegedly began using heroin, but our next subject started using drugs to grow his athletic prowess. The last clip comes from Sports Criminals, covering one of the biggest doping scandals in cycling history. Lance Armstrong became a household name in the 2000s after overcoming testicular cancer to win seven Tour de France competitions. But in 2010, one of Lance's cycling teammates, Floyd Landis, blew the whistle. Several top riders, Lance included, were accused of doping. After years of denials, Floyd admitted he had used performance-enhancing drugs and that Lance used the drugs during all seven of his Tour de France wins. Floyd alleged that it was Lance who brought the rest of the teammates into the drugs. 26-year-old Floyd Landis was a singular figure in pro cycling. Raised in a strict Mennonite family, Floyd grew up in a rural Pennsylvania township literally named Farmersville. Even though he wasn't even allowed to wear shorts, Floyd gravitated towards cycling and became a skilled mountain bike racer. In 1999, he switched to road racing. He signed for Lance's U.S. postal team three years later, just ahead of the 2002 Tour de France. Although Floyd lacked discipline, Lance realized he was a diamond in the rough. With enough training, he could become a key cog in the USPS machine. Ahead of the tour, Lance brought Floyd along for so-called altitude training in St. Moritz, Switzerland. But they had a third wheel on this little getaway. Dr. Michele Ferrari. Within pro cycling circles, Dr. Ferrari was the dawn of doping. He didn't just know how to maximize his clients' PED use, he knew how to keep them from getting caught. Lance had been working with Ferrari since 1995. Even after Ferrari went on trial for providing athletes with PEDs, Lance dutifully stuck by the good doctor's side. He had to avoid a paper trail, but the risk was worth the reward. Nobody ran a doping program like Michele Ferrari. And Floyd Landis wasn't Lance's only USPS teammate on the Ferrari plan. They all were. If anyone refused, they were out. In that clip from Sports Criminals, Lance Armstrong introduced his teammate, Floyd Landis, to the world of performance-enhancing drugs. Though suspected of using PEDs several times during his career, Lance didn't confess until 2013, when he was stripped of his seven Tour de France titles. 
Lance's televised confession on The Oprah Winfrey Show drew criticism from the public, including clinical psychologist Joseph Burgo, who specializes in narcissism. Dr. Burgo says that Lance's repeated denials and bullying of those who accused him shows that he is not remorseful for his actions. Burgo believes Lance apologized to his fans, not because he is remorseful, but because he longs for a hero status and to be adored by his fans once again. The criminals in our clips today all had varying motivators to their illicit drug use and drug dealing. In Kingpins, Rafel Edmund grew up in a world of drugs and drug dealing. He committed his first transaction at the age of nine at the behest of his mother and went on to lead a drug empire. And in sports criminals, Lance Armstrong's drive to win led him to not only seek out performance-enhancing drugs, but to encourage his teammates to use them as well. In some ways, he was both a user and a dealer. And in the end, it cost him everything. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on drug dealers and drug users. We'll be back next week with a new episode on death penalty cases. If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Kingpins, Unsolved Murders, or Sports Criminals on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time. Hi again. Don't forget to check out the sizzling new Spotify original from ParCast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. There's torrid love affairs, shocking blackmail schemes, and even murder. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.